Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome back to the Geekening Podcast. I am your usual host, at times, Will. I hope you're having a good day, evening, noon, night, whenever you're listening to this. I hope it's going great for you. But today, we have a special guest. Please, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Amelia. Uh, pay queen today on Twitter. <laughs> Hey geeks, there's a game you need to check out only on Vox Pop Games. Ultimate Reality has an amazing story and gameplay that every geek needs to check out. But what is it all about? The multiverse is in danger. A figure known as the Destroyer of Reality is out there looking for various artifacts in order to wipe out every universe in existence. Suit up in this dimensional pixelated adventure as an unknown hero who will travel the multiverse in search of the Destroyer. Learn more only on Vox Pop Games or by clicking the link below. And I'd make... D&D stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, D&D stuff. So um, let's uh, get some things out of the gate. Uh, how'd you come to D&D? So I started role-playing games back in, oof, oh, I was in middle school. And it was primarily because my uncle played D&D back when he was in high school and he had a bunch of the old uh, fiend folios and monster manuals and all that and I would just spend hours while my cousins were playing video games on the computer uh, flipping through those but my parents didn't really want me playing D&D because they were raised kind of conservatively and were worried about like you know getting lost in fantasy worlds so uh, um, which... yeah the old school <laughs> satanic panic yeah. which uh, has been faded now since some people have learned how it got caused that how the panic mm. got caused and honestly it really got caused i believe if the story i heard was right is that at the time they really didn't understand mental health as well as we do now yeah that um you know i've heard talk that it's because dnd has you know devil step walks and conservative christians were worried about you know playing a game with devils and yeah. <laughs> even though you're fighting them usually so. and, yeah you're usually fighting them and like that also brings up the topic of, um, with another example, it's not really a topic, it's more of a, like, oh, hey, this video game had to deal with this, too. Uh, the video game franchise of Doom, mm-hmm. which um, I believe the original creator of Doom has gone out and said, yes, Doom guy is a Christian, so it is okay <laughs> to slay all these demons in hell. And <laughs> I just find that amazing. <laughs> Yeah, like, um, my dad was the main one saying, no, no, no playing D&D, no devil stuff. And then I got him to watch the show Supernatural for the very reason that you fight, they fight devils and demons. So. Uh, Supernatural is such a good show. It is. And <laughs> I was uh, looking on Netflix, just looking for something to watch. And I was like, okay, let's see, like, some older stuff that I missed out on, you know? And I seen, mm-hmm. like, old school supernatural and i'm like no no i remember when that came out it's not old school yeah <laughs> recently tried going back and watching it but don't want to get too invested again yeah uh, what would you say is your favorite thing about D? uh let's see i love i've always been one of those people to just dive into escapism um re- whether that be 
reading, um, uh, video games, movies, comic books, um, and then role playing game, eventually role playing games eventually. And so I've always had a, as my mom would say, wild imagination, or too wild perhaps. Um, and so uh, I'd get lost in the clouds instead of doing schoolwork. Um, and D and D, just you know, so many worlds. It's not just Forgotten Realms. It's mm-hmm. multiple official air quotes around official, but like worlds, and then like third party worlds, and then like homebrew worlds. And there's just so much, so much you can do with it. And if you don't like a certain aspect of it, you can remove it. If you want to add something in, you can. You can mix and match systems, even. And yeah, it's just the perfect way to just indulge in your creativity and escape into just any kind of fantasy world you, you can imagine. I mean, even beyond fantasies, usually it's with a, you know, fantasy hybrid mashup kind of genre, like whether it's steampunk fantasy or sci-fi fantasy, but there's pure sci-fi adaptions of D&D, so yeah. it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it, it is a lot of fun, and it is great that we can ex- explore these different worlds. Mm-hmm. Like, um, with you said, with the different settings, like you can have settings like the Forgotten Realms. You know, don't don't get me wrong, Forgotten Realms is good. It's a tried and true classic. D and D. Oh yeah, I, I love Forgotten Realms. Um, but there's but, just so many options. <laughs> yeah, there Beyond is. There is. But in like some of the options that like I have experienced outside of the Forgotten Realms is uh, Strixhaven. Mm-hmm. Currently, I mm-hmm. love Strixhaven because it's it's magical <laughs> college. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I'm doing I'm enjoying that in a home game currently. Uh, yep. And what I love is that the DM was like, "Hey, if it's in a book, I'm letting you do it." So, <laughs> my current character for the Strict Saving game is like a fairy from the Feywild going to college. Oh, perfect. I approve of that. <laughs> yeah, and. He is uh, he is a mix of the laid back student and also the party student at the same time because <laughs> Faye Wild Faye do things yeah, differently there. That's perfect. Uh, but um, and another uh, setting I really love. Maybe it's because I fell in love with Greek mythology and Percy Jackson, but it's Theros. Theros is mm-hmm. amazing in my book. Oh, and, definitely not beyond even just the setting they have introduced like cool features like the way you interact with like the deities and stuff oh uh, yeah the piety system that is, part too yeah uh, great and um consider this a bit of a plug-in for other all ages of geek shows but you currently on the website there is a theros campaign you can listen to in dicesh and you just have um there's a lot of found family and learning to accept each other, which is great because oh, yeah. the poli of Theros have been on thin ice for a while, especially Akros, which is basically magic Sparta, and Melitus, that is magic Athens. <laughs> yeah, love it. <laughs> and well, one thing that's just... And uh, currently, um, the leader of the group, she's from Akros. Her name's Ava. She is a rogue bard. Um, her advisor currently is 
who's also in the party is um like he wasn't assigned to her like this is now your advisor basically <laughs> through some adventurings he was just like hey we work good together can i be your advisor and she was just like sure why not i like you <laughs> and um he is actually my character which is from melitus who is a minotaur which are seen as like oh, cool. the arch enemies of Akros <laughs> because they're known for their savagery, but Tauros mm-hmm. is a civilized minotaur. <laughs> and um, I always say this because it gets a chuckle out of the guests. Um, he is a cleric, mm-hmm. cleric of Farika, which is the god of affliction. Of affliction. Mm-hmm. Um, he has an intelligence of five. <laughs> yeah, he a dumb boy. He is the party's himbo, and we love him for it. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Considering where he grew up, like he waxes philosophically about several things. It's just like Toros. That's not very useful in this current situation, but we appreciate you trying. <laughs> but there have been a few times he's been helpful. Um, you know, since I'm talking about two, I want to talk about the whole party because. I love hearing guests' reactions to them, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, then you have Aslan. Um, how familiar are you with the Pharaoh's lore? Uh, pretty familiar. I was originally going to try and make my own adaption of the Pharaoh setting for 5e, like, long before they did. <laughs> yeah, the official one. Um, <laughs> Aslan is a Leonin. <laughs> And um, he was chosen by Helioid upon his birth. And his reaction was to flip off the sun. (laughs) Yeah, Aslan doesn't care for Helioid. I love that. And um, that has led to some situations. Not good situations for Aslan because he pissed off a god. (laughs) And out of all the gods at Theros, Helioid seems to be the most petty. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, then you have um, Takis, who is a satyr bard, who's just... Well, uh, yeah, he is living his good life in the beginning of the campaign. Currently, he's depressed for spoiler reasons. <laughs> uh, but... He is basically like, okay, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Let's party. We can do this. Uh, then you have Spyro, who is a Nyxborn created by Irois, who is also a Seder Bard. We have two Seder Bards. This can only go good. And he is directionally challenged. And if he finds a child that does not have a parent, he's just like, I have adopted you. You are now mine. <laughs> like, even though, like, no, Spyro, you can't do that. That's called kidnapping. <laughs> no, I am the father. <laughs> uh, yeah. Then the last one I have to introduce is Jude, who actually does see Spyro as his father. Because <laughs> Jude is an anvil rock wizard who Spyro just discovered. And due to being an Anvil Rot, we have kind of angered Perforos every now and then. We haven't for a long time. But I I will say this, um, near the beginning, Tauros, being the himbo he is, decided to talk shit 
about uh, Perforos in the mountains, which are his <laughs> domain. Yeah. So Perforos is just like, you know what? Landslide. I don't like you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, his himboness has led to some gods being like, you know what? I did choose you, but know that I could give you a fate worse than death. Okay, bye! <laughs> uh, the, the way our DM Lava does the gods is so great. And one thing that he like that he's doing for the current campaign, it's set after Theros Beyond Death. Yep. Was the you know magic set? Mm-hmm. And so, like, some things are a bit different. Like, uh, Melitus, you know, a great place where every single god has a temple. You can come here and understand. Yeah, almost every temple is closed thanks to Helioid being a dick. <laughs> oh, no. Because he sent Daxos back from the dead to be like, hey, remind them who I am and how great I am. And Daxos is just like, well, you kind of brought me back from death. So I have to do this. Okay. <laughs> but like we've had some good moments. We've had some like what actually yesterday we had a session and mm-hmm. it was heartbreaking. <laughs> oh, no. like, because um the Pharaoh's campaign is very much a Greek tragedy, like mm-hmm. on par with like the Odyssey, but we do not get lost as much as Odysseus. <laughs> But yeah, if you want to listen to some found family, some heartbreaking things, listen to Dicesh. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of biased and like, oh, I love it because, again, I'm in it. <laughs> I, I voice Taurus, you know. <laughs> Tor- I could just talk on about Taurus, but let's move on so I don't. <laughs> Well, so you mentioned that there's a, you had a party had a um, depressed satyr and a uh, kind of cleric that didn't really want to be a cleric, is that right? Or Uh, Tauros is a cleric, and technically speaking, um, uh, uh, Aslan, Aslan got chosen by Helioid. He was a paladin of Helioid who didn't want to be a paladin of Helioid. But like a follower chosen by a who was reluctant to uh he was um it since how far we've come since the beginning it's a bit complicated but uh it's it's funny that those are present there because myself i've played a depressator before and a cleric i mean it wasn't theros and it wasn't a uh it was a cleric chosen by a god and he's like he was really just there for community service because he was arrested and the god chose him. <laughs> ah. So he was very reluctant. But uh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but um, one, one little thing I do like to say is mm-hmm. because it gets a laugh out of the guests every time it seems. Um, Ava is actually part of a crow in royalty. <laughs> And they were in Melitus, just walking around, talking with Tauros, and she mentioned mm-hmm. a former king of Akros. Mm-hmm. And I asked the DM, like, I know I have a five in int, but can I roll to see if I know the history of this king? 
And he was just like, you know what? Sure. Why not? I roll natural 20. So the himbo goes in talking about the legacy of this king, the family tree, and points exactly where his leader is in the lineage. <laughs> and everyone since then has looked at Taurus and was like, buddy, what do you know? It's just like, my mind is a labyrinth. I don't know. <laughs> That's perfect. Perfect response. Yeah, we, we have joked that his spirit animal is just an axolotl. Infinite knowledge, <laughs> but we don't know what the knowledge is of. Yeah. Uh, those are the best characters, though, when they know things, and but they're not the brightest. But they just seem to get things done. Yeah, especially since, again, um, also, uh, one thing I like to preface with Thoros is, um, again, cleric of Farika, and his background was an mm -hmm. acolyte, so he studied at the Temple of Farika. So he's a doctor! And he <laughs> passed his medical exams with an int of five! <laughs> because medicine is wisdom, not int! Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> it, it's great. That really is. Thank you. Thank you. What's some of your characters that you just absolutely love? So I'm kind of now at least the forever DM my groups, uh, but um, I, I could go into some of my favorite NPCs or DMPCs, but um, my... actually, uh, go into PCs and the NPCs. I want to know everything. <laughs> okay. So my favorite PC that I've played. Like as a player, um, let's see. I guess it was a cleric that didn't want to be a cleric. It was a campaign that ended too soon, um, mm. and it wasn't the one that had the most wild story. So it actually be my first character, but I was still learning the system at the time and the game, and because I was getting back into D and D after years away, um, and it was my first time five E with that one. But my favorite one was I played. Um, his name is Luther. I don't remember his last name, but he was a order cleric of Tyr in the Forgotten Realms, who went to, I believe, Neverwinter after his forest village was besieged by bandits, and he was believed was the only survivor, and started up a life of crime just to pay the bills, kind of. Uh, and by bills, I mean his tavern bill. Um, <laughs> And he was arrested for a crime and then was given a choice of life in prison or community service with a uh, church of Kier. So he chose the lesser of the two punishments and Kier took pity on him and gave him cleric powers and he just hated it all. <laughs> so he was sent out as like a wandering kind of sheriff lawman and um, he never had a healing spell ever that he used, um, and his best friend was a weapon dealing girl, but it was it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so that was probably, and the best moment that I had in game with that character was, we were, there was two clerics in the party, one was a Tempest cleric, and then there was a warlock. We both had a moment where we were kind, where the DM was like, okay, roll, you're taking a long rest, roll to see if your god or patron interacts with you in any way. And so we, all three of us rolled, and I was the only one who got a good, a good score well enough to be visited by my god or patron, in my case, a god, 
Kier. And I had rolled a 20, so Kier came to me and said, hey, or told Luther and was like, hey, you're gonna, like, give him some secrets. Apparently his son had uh, survived the attack and was being raised by the bandit leader. Um, so he, he was like, hey, your son's alive. You're, I'll help you take down this leader and kind of reinvigorated um, Luther. And so he was had kind of a crisis of faith at that point, instead of like, oh, I don't believe in my God or, oh, what do I do? My religion is shaken. It was, oh gosh, I guess I kind of have to support this guy because he's helping me out. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was my favorite player character I played as. I have some beloved NPCs as well <laughs> that I've gotten to play. Um, we, uh, in my homebrew setting that I'm, I've been developing, I've run two campaigns and a few one-shots and, and hope to one day kickstart, but it's very early stages, like very early, um, of Akinoth. Um, and our first campaign, there was this region of Akinoth called Rissawold, and it was basically just dark and dreary, woodsy, very gothic architecture. And it was ruled by several noble families or noble houses. And there was one exiled noble house. Um, and it was exiled because it didn't want to start worshiping Cthulhu. <laughs> and the evil noble houses started raising the dead. Well, not raising the dead, but converting all of the living citizens of all their subjects that were alive into basically sentient undead thralls and there was a skeleton with a gold tooth and a musket uh, who lived in a dungeon and was kind of hiding there who ended up helping the party and his name was glint because the gold tooth mm -hmm. and he helped the party uh defeat the noble houses and um he was so much but he couldn't talk because he's a skeleton but in our current campaign in Ekinoth, um, he, well, it, it's after a 60 year time jump and Glint is now the ruling leader of the, or the minister, the minister of the Parliament of Bones, which is the current ruling government of Bristlewald and um, made up of the Cynthia undead that have since been liberated. And Glint was so much fun to play. He's one of my or one of my party or one of my group's most favorite NPCs that I've ever run for them. Uh, there's also Eobard, which was a uh, incubus and one of the lords of hell who was kicked out for being too nice and siding with the gods in this hell versus gods war. And now he's the current lord of hell because he his siblings have either been banished or killed. And he was he's very much a, I was inspired by two very odd choices to mash together, but Captain Jack Harkness from uh, Doctor Who and uh, Torchwood, I believe, and then um, the Joker. So I did a Joker voice for him. He was just nice and loved everybody and was um, very flirtatious and chaotic and so much fun to play um, uh, or, and run for my group. And then in our current campaign, there's a uh, Spireforge, which we use the stats for Warforged, but 
completely different lore and aesthetic. Uh, they're all metal, filigree, covered, or covered in filigree, um, live in a clockwork city, and were made by Technus, the god of uh, progress and uh, society. Uh, sorry, god of Technus. Uh, Technus was the god of progress, technology, and civilization. There we go. And Technus created these Spire Forged, and they all have names. That's basically their role uh, in society. So our current campaign in Akamath is set in this region called the Fey Isles, which is basically the Feywild meets Bermuda Triangle, because in my setting of Akamath, Fey represents the concept of survival of the fittest, and they're not nice. <laughs> so they're in, they're in the uh, Fey Isles, and their ship runs a shipwreck survivor, and they meet this group called the Lost, and there's a member of the Lost uh, who is helping them navigate the Fey Isles, which is hard because islands move, and her name is Navigator. And for her, my inspiration was more uh, Entrapta from Chira and the Princesses of Power, just this chaotic, sweet, just utter sweetheart, but chaotic, um, kind of ADHD, neurodivergent, just robot, basically. <laughs> and everyone, everyone in my group just adores her, so she's a lot of fun to play, too. So bringing up favorite NPCs. I will provide them with no context because they're even more insane without context. <laughs> but in Melitus, we met this NPC. We never learned his name. So we all just referred to him as Anarchy Grandpa. <laughs> and have you watched Gravity Falls? Yes, yes. It is basically Old Man McGucket as a follower of Phoenix. <laughs> Love that. I it is too. We always like when we left Melitus, we were just like, if I swear, if there's a giant fireball followed by old man cacklings, we learned what happened. It was anarchy, Grandpa. <laughs> but yeah, just anarchy, Grandpa. <laughs> Very small role, but we all loved him. It's great. Our uh, Akinoff campaign, our first one, had a chaotic old person as well he was we called him the group collectively kind of gave him a name that I just ran with they, they called him uh, Grandpa Bernie um, because he was actually one of the old gods but the good one who was who kind of came out came to Akinoth ahead of the uh, impending invasion to warn everyone but you know if he revealed his true form he'd be terrifying you know everyone would go insane so we kind of just took the form of an old person and they're like well describe him and I was like Here's a picture of Bernie Sanders. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That caught me off guard so much. It's like, oh, Grandpa Bernie. You know, just like, ah, Bernie, easy name to remember. No, Bernie Sanders. Okay. <laughs> He's once again asking for your help. <laughs> exactly. And it wasn't like intentional. It just, I, I like Bernie Sanders, so I pulled up a photo of him, and because I was trying to think of old people, I'm like that old person, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I have um run some home games, mm -hmm. and 
myself. Like, so I've only done one shot currently, but I'm working on a campaign. But I decided to um, mess with my group a bit because they know I should never get creative. Because once I get creative, things happen. Mm-hmm. And they they can tell you that this is 100% true. So the campaign one shot took place in a high school. Okay. And it was 1999. It was almost the millennia, you know, Y2K. <laughs> And mm-hmm. what I had was the fantasy world believed all magic would just stop in the year 2000 instead of all the electronics. Oh, that's cool. And so they were investigating this one thing going on in the school because one NPC, I never came, I never gave him a name, but he was like the school's conspiracy theorist. <laughs> and he started off his um, introduction to the class was, by slamming on his desk and saying, Abe Lincoln was a werewolf. <laughs> and that, that got a laugh out of everyone. <laughs> uh, but eventually, like, after, like, the school orientation, like, oh, welcome to your year of high school, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. They were getting ready to leave the gymnasium, and they heard some noises coming from the back closet. And they're like, Okay, that that's weird. The, so they knock on the door, and you know, knock, knock, knock. Anyone there? And they just heard, anyone there? Anyone there? Anyone there? <laughs> and they're like, cards going on. So they kick open the door, expecting a kenku. Okay. It was not a kenku. It was a satyr who was running <laughs> an illegal Furby ring. <laughs> So they had to fight these rogue Furbies as well as the Furby breeder. That's great. It is, and I found a stat block for a Furby <laughs> online. Like that's the best that's... thing about homebrew, I think, is that people oh, can yeah. share it, and you get crazy stuff like that. Definitely, definitely. And um, <laughs> if the one shot did continue into a campaign. Um, they were going to encounter one of the long Furbies as, like, the Furby queen. <laughs> and they were just like, Will, why? Why are you like this? And I'm just like, you guys should expect this from me. And they're just all like, yeah. <laughs> but we all yeah. throw in our own brand of chaos into our creation. Yeah. I went, uh, uh, one time I was taking a break from running, well not break, I decided I wanted to do something more than just running my normal Ekinoth campaign, so I, on a different day of the week, ran a uh, kind of mini campaign with a few people solely online, and it was another homebrew setting I made, but it was Earth, modern day, and a world where, but in that version of Earth where magic existed, and it was in a fictional city up in, uh, an, uh, I think Maine, but it's basically fantasy New York, but not New York. Um, right. And or doing a modern fantasy, urban fantasy thing allowed me to be so wild. They went to mm-hmm. a nightclub for mice, um, city mice, that was like tiny, like the door only mice could get through. And the mice sent them to fight the pigeon mafia. Um, <laughs> pigeon mafia. <laughs> they, they had to fight... Um, or not, they had to fight some people who were 
uh, these art thieves to get back a painting for Keanu Reeves because Keanu Reeves was actually Dorian Gray. Um, and there's one other weird thing. Uh, they, found a, they had to help a giant sewer alligator. Oh, the, they went to this place because there was a announcement for something called Monkey House. And this is entirely based off of a dream I actually had one night. And they go there and there's all these like chimpanzees in like an enclosure and they let you into the enclosure and you just pay for entry and you go in and you, they give you a cookie and you, you feed the chimpanzees cookies and they give you cookies to eat. And it was really weird. It's, like I said, partially inspired by a dream I had and also partially inspired by the place I went to in Germany where you feed monkeys popcorn to come up to you. But the weird part about the dream and then that I turned into the session for this mini campaign was the cookies that they gave you were the same cookies they gave to the chimpanzees because the chimpanzees were people who ate the cookies and slowly turned into chimpanzees. So they had to fight everyone. And the way they made these cookies were by um, inscribing eldritch runes from like the Necronomicon onto easy bake ovens. <laughs> I was expecting something like, oh, they did something to the dough. No, easy bake, brilliant. No one suspects the easy bake. It was wild. <laughs> uh, and also with my uh, 1999 adventure, um, one of the characters was a warlock. That's class. <laughs> so I made the patron a Hollywood producer. <laughs> I love that. Because when it comes to reboots, we all know the true evil is the Hollywood producers. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, uh, modern campaigns can be a lot of fun. They can. The great. So, um, what do you really do involving uh, tabletop games? So, I personally, I DM for my group, but like out there on Twitter and the interwebs and yeah, everything. I um, uh, in addition to like you know, posting D and D ideas on or like D and D related content on Twitter, I um, I make homebrew um, and primarily for D and I'm trying to expand into Pathfinder as well. I've got a few Pathfinder Second Edition projects that are in weird um, liminal states of development. Um, uh, but I do a lot of like homebrew player options mainly. Um, I occasionally will go into like world building stuff or um, setting development or DM advice. Uh, not as much as I would like to. I like to do that some more, but player options are kind of my favorite thing to do. So that's what I do the most of. Um, but I do all that on my blog, uh, truefaygaming.wordpress.com, uh, and I share it on my Patreon as well. I post stuff on DM Skilled. Um, I run two Discord servers um, that are not super active because I tend to engage when there's engagement on it. And whenever I come up with something new for one of the two things they're for, one's for Akinoth, um, the setting that I run my home games on. And the other is for a game, a rules light tabletop role playing game that I've been developing for a while uh, called Tags. And I post tag stuff there, tags content, updates, and uh, 
So I run those two discords and the Patreon blog and random nonsense on Twitter. So, oh, and DMs Guild, but yeah. I suppose another good question is, what's your favorite thing about homebrewing? Just indulging creativity um, and making up for things that you kind of wish were there, but aren't like, um, or adding things from other places. Like you could, for instance, before the Dampier um, became a race in D&D, this wasn't homebrew, but, but what I had to do was basically make do with other options. So I'd always play a drow and basically describe drow and dampier are pretty similar if you think look at it mechanically. Uh, not yeah. the new dampier, but like just the drow stuff or lore or not lore. Sorry, the drow mechanics and the PHB is pretty mechanically similar to what you would expect from a dampier minus a bite. So just take that, maybe take the magic and replace it with a bite if I wanted to, but um. So I really was like, oh, because all the vampires too. So I was like, I really want to play a damn period that's not just a drow reskinned or something more vampiric. And then that kind of got me into thinking of other stuff. Like, um, I want to see this be a thing. Like, there's so many, I love clerics and warlocks. So those are two of my favorite things to see homebrew for or make homebrew for. And because their domains and their patrons are just so much fun and there's so many cleric domains like I think that would make a lot of sense but there's not one like elemental domains or a travel domain and I haven't made those yet I'd like to someday but there's plenty of good ones out there but just you know filling a niche that hasn't been filled yet but also being creative and indulging in that um for instance I the other day I was just walking my dog and a random thought just kind of shot its way into my head and I was like it wasn't even a really mechanic or anything it was just the name of a subclass and I had to try and make it work <laughs> so I was like that's such a cool name and it was a uh, the way of imperfection monk uh, basically uh what I ended up turning it into is a monk that real instead of trying to master themselves and master their bodies master their martial arts master their manipulation of the flow of key they just realize that nothing will ever be 100% perfect. Everything has some flaw to it. And so they know how to they acknowledge it and can manipulate those flaws. Um, kind of, they can go either way, like good um, kind of guides to like crises or stuff like that, but also um, you know, doomsday cultists or uh, nihilists or uh, even just you know, assassins it could be. Um, after I made it, I kind of looked back and was like, oh, it's Karnak from Inhumans, but uh, that wasn't what I went thinking. It's just what it turned into, but I just had that idea for a, a subclass a name and then created the mechanics afterwards. Uh, sometimes I do it the other way and I'm like, oh, I want a subclass that can do this or that's themed around this, so I make it <laughs> and I come up with a name. I've got a monk subclass called the Way of the Kinetic Fist. Because I wanted a, I wanted Flash from DC as a monk. I wanted a monk that was manipulate or that mastered, you know, mastered physics and stuff like mysticism. They use a friction and kinetic energy and um, inertia to do damage and to power themselves. And I really liked that concept. So then I made the monk and then came up with a name for it. 
Um, and sometimes it's just, I tend to not focus on mechanics primarily. Like I'll come up with a cool flavor, cool theme and find mechanics that fit that. So not all my subclasses are super mechanically cohesive. You know, like it's not like built around a central mechanic, but they have mechanics that fit the theme because I just love indulging that creative creativity. I'm, I write poetry and have a few published poet, uh, books of poems. So uh, I'm very creative. I can never turn my mind off basically. So I'm always creating something or writing on ideas. I have so many forwarders with just lists of ideas that most likely most will never see the light of day, but being able to just create something is so much fun. Even if it's like a joke, like I created a Jeff Goldblum patron warlock and that was just for fun, but I really liked it, so. Nice. The only homebrewing I've ever done was a, um, a homebrewed curse, like for a mm -hmm. cursed item. And are you familiar with the show Critical Role? I'm familiar with it. I have not seen most of it, but I've read some of the wiki articles so, uh, or like okay. wiki pages. So, so. Um, the curse I came up with was a was called the Curse of Will Wheaton. <laughs> okay. And um. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, do, do tell more. That sounds interesting. <laughs> and the, what the curse of Will Wheaton was, you know how you, when you how you roll a d20? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you no longer roll a d20. You roll a d10. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is not as cruel as the one I found online because Will Wheaton is notorious for rolling bad. <laughs> It's, they said, like, oh, D, uh, D20? Uh, yeah, no, you don't roll those anymore. Roll a D6. No. And I was like, no, nah, that's too harsh. It, D10. <laughs> yep. And yep. <laughs> the only way you could get the curse off is remove curse or wish. Yep. <laughs> yes. That's it. I, it's a bad curses, luck. A bad curses luck. Curses are a lot curse. of fun too. They are. I, I'm, my first Akinoth campaign had a this box that they, the group found <clears throat> called the Oblivion Cube, and it was reach into the extra dimensional space and pull something out, and it's very rarely something beneficial. They've gotten um, apples and healing potions out of it before, but most of the time they pull something out. It's a random object. Roll on a curse table, and I made so many weird curses. Like, first you'd roll to see if it was a minor, major, or doomsday curse. Um, and doomsday curses were like catastrophic curses. Like, um, my favorite one that never got rolled, but my party just adored as a doomsday curse was you are permanently polymorphed into a hive of 10d100 squirrels. <laughs> Everyone. Mm -hmm. Yep. So just be, I was like, you have a hive mind, you can communicate telepathically, and you keep your class abilities, but you speak squirrel, and there's no way to remove it. So, I mean, that would give it, it was very hard to get that, because you would have had to roll on the table to see if you got a doomsday curse, which had the smallest chance out of them all. And then if you rolled a doomsday curse, you had to roll on a bigger table that had a whole bunch of other doomsday curses. So chance of getting that was small, but um, 
I gave him an option. You can play as a sentient hive mind of squirrels or make a new character. And luckily no one ever rolled a Doomsday Curse, but there were some bad ones. <laughs> yeah. There's some uh, cool ones too, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I believe you, don't get me wrong. Uh, when you talked about Doomsday, it just reminded me of this. I never got the book, but it was like a homebrewed one-shot. And it was for a level 20 adventurers. Okay. And it's called Invasion of Planet Tarask. <laughs> oh, no. And this wizard just opened a portal to a realm that had nothing but Tarasks. <laughs> and he's just like, aha, yes, I'll bring the end of the world. Why can't I control the Tarasks? Oh. <laughs> oh, I see. So I screwed the world up. Heroes! <laughs> Help me! I love that. I'd be terrified to play it, but I love it. I would be too. I would be too. <laughs> but, and I believe I've seen a stat block. And this proves how much I love homebrew. Just like looking at homebrew concepts. A concept for a flying Tarask. No. And a flying Tarrasque does not have wings, and it only flies because it's tied to so many balloons. <laughs> <laughs> like an artificer attached a giant hot air balloon to a Tarrasque, and now it just flies through the air. It can't control where it's going. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yep. <laughs> I mean, part of the one of the strategies for taking out Tarasks being get out of range, but then they can fly, but then they can't control where. So it's like, eh. It's just <laughs> so it good, it's bad, it's worse. It'd be a fun random encounter if, like, the adventurers just go out of their lodge one day to see a Tarask and this guy just <laughs> flying by. Like, not attacking anything. Just... <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Uh, so, are there any game other tabletops you play besides D and D? Yeah. So when I wanted to get into Dungeons and Dragons, my family was like, "No, we don't want you getting sucked into a fantasy world where you think dragons are real and you're going to be throwing fireballs at people in the hallways." Because again, that's what they thought. Um, I instead was able to play Mouse Guard. Um, they looked at it and were like, "Yeah, we're fine." Kind of playing as little mouse adventure speed so i got it the mouse card rule book and tried to run it for my family and had never dm'd and had never um experienced a role-playing game as you know player or dm before at that point so it didn't go well but i have revisited it later on then in high school i got really into pathfinder first edition and because i wasn't really a part of the dnd club at my high school because I didn't really like sticking around after school. I wanted to be home or um, we lived in Germany for high school. So uh, I'd go to a military base and go to the food court there or go home or Starbucks after uh, school. So I didn't want to stay in the D&D club, even though I kind of look back and regret it because I had friends there. But um, I play Pathfinder on Pathfinder Society uh, online. And because I only spoke English and I was living in Germany and German time zones, that meant I had go, I'd wake some alarm for basically midnight or later in the evening 
sometimes one or two in the morning to play with people back in America. Um, I played a lot of Pathfinder, had a lot of fun characters and a lot of fun moments. But and I moved back from Germany and wanted to play role-playing games really bad. So then I had a friend who played D&D, so I got, he invited me to his group and I went and joined that and fell in love with D&D 5th edition. Um, I had played third and fourth a little bit when I tried the um, D&D club at high school, but I liked the ideas of it, but I never really you know, meshed with the group or the, I, the club. Uh, so I got fifth edition D&D when I came back from Germany and then just fell head over heels in love with role-playing games. So I've tried, um, I've played so many more. Um, there's a superhero one, um, Amp Year Zero that I really like. I've played Spirit of 77, which is a, a 70s, you know, action cop kind of um, powered by the apocalypse game. I've played Pathfinder second edition some more, or some, I've played Pathfinder first edition some more. I've played several others. I've played Monster of the Week. I've played more that I'm drawing blanks on at the moment. Oh, I played Savage Worlds, love Savage Worlds. I've of course played my own game that I'm making tags to play Tesla. Um, played a few others, but um, I have this over in another room and I, we have like walls of bookshelves and I have like four or five um, role-playing game book bookshelves. Nice. A lot of those are games that I've never played, but I've read through. You know, um, Quest is one that I really want to play, but I haven't got a chance to yet. Um, Fate of the Fate of the Norns Ragnarok. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, a few other or a whole bunch of others. I've also played Starfinder. Forgot about that one. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if there's one thing I distinctly remember, it's like I ha I too have played lots of well, not lots, not as many as you clearly with <laughs> all the stuff you've had. But D&D was my first, and I tried other systems with my friends. <laughs> and I remember one time, like, it was, had to have been, like, one in the morning. We were both delirious from talking to each other. <laughs> we all got, like, one of my friends, uh, the one who plays Ava, was like, hey, I have this one uh, tabletop game I've been dying to try out. And I've only... I have only suggested that we play it to some players as a threat. And, and all of us was just like, what's the game? And then, then she said it. The My Little Pony tabletop role-playing game. And we were all were just delirious, looked at each other, and we were just like, Let's do it! So he did like a My Little Pony one-shot home game. <laughs> it was something. We've never returned to it. But... I've heard some people say that the, I mean, just, you know, a few My Little Pony inspired games, but the official, I've heard some people who are like, you know, D&D, &D, 5e, like, grown adults, like, of all stripes, say that they've really liked the My Little Pony game. I'm like, I'm not a my Little Pony fan, but I mean, yeah, same. It sounds cool, but I mean, if they like it, that's great. I'm never love people playing new other systems, so yeah. And enjoy. 
I, I was curious in how deep the circle of tabletop role-playing games went. Mm-hmm. And I, I have found that there is literally a wrestling tabletop role-playing game. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what? That's cool. And then, of course, you know, I've heard of Call of Cthulhu, mm-hmm. which I've made a character for, but I've never played him. Call of Cthulhu is one of those role-playing games that I know lots of people love, but it's not for me. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> I, fair. I love, I love Lovecraftian stories like Akinoth, my setting, the first campaign, they're fighting Cthulhu. Um, I've backed Kickstarters and bought books for adding Lovecraft to your game, or Lovecraftian Elder Gods, Cthulhu, um, Dagon, all those to your games, but... Mm-hmm. I don't like the, I just don't mesh of Call of Cthulhu. It's, uh, I think it's a combination of it not being a power of fantasy and the fact that everything's scary. <laughs> like, not scary, like, to me, but, like, just impending doom. Right. Um, and... and then you, you're kind of, your character might be cool, but they're not, like, you know, Drist Jordan cool or Legolas right. cool or Superman cool. They're, they're what they are, but... <laughs> Yeah, and I believe, like, if I ever did run a Call of Cthulhu game, it would not be a Lovecraftian style of Call of Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. It would be like, okay, you are a band of a band of investigators together. You want to find Mothman levels (laughs) of game, like just going around America trying to find these cryptids. (laughs) <laughs> like that's the tabletop game I want. Yeah, there's, yep, yeah. <laughs> there's few out there where you can looking for cryptids, but like I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, sorry, my dog's playing with windshield or not windshield, the blinds, the blinds, but uh, <laughs> um, to get to the sun. But um, like yeah, there's there's a game that I backed on Kickstarter a while ago. Um. Expedition and Credizoology, which is um, basically Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the game. Um, you're basically magical conservationists and going around trying to find unicorns and stuff. Um, and like That's cool. the real world, but in like pockets of it. And you get this. I haven't played it yet. Um, I haven't had a chance to, but me and my six year old would uh, sit, on, he loves sitting on the couch. Uh, getting out our, my dice box and because they have a random you know creature generator where you can create a creature and it has like a whole like you know species and genus and like oh that's so cool. biological classification thing it's and those are how the tables are broken down um we just generate you know, creatures together and he, he loves that <laughs> that's great um but when talking about Kickstarter, recently I did back something. This was a while ago when I backed it, back when the Kickstarter was up. And that mm-hmm. was um, The Billowing Wilds, The Fool's Gold from Dingo Doodles. Okay. And I- I'm excited to see that because I'm actually on the Kickening podcast, I talked to one of the artists. Which mm-hmm. that that was really cool, I think. And like I was like, okay, so what is in this book? So you can make over a million potions. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's over a million potion co- po- possibilities, 
and there's a wild magic table that's called even wilder magic. <laughs> I like that. Um, there is something called a dire tarask. Oh, no. Which <laughs> I believe was the DM of the original Fool School campaign going, you know what? 5e tarasks are too weak. Oh, no. Yeah, so dire tarask. Uh, terrifying, I, but I love that. Yeah, and I think you could still like get a package if you go through the Kickstarter, like a late backing. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's supposed to come out like in September ish. So I'm excited for that. Sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of uh, any other topics. We've run the gambit of a lot of our topics. <laughs> so do you have uh, any uh, last things you want to say to the listeners? Uh, yeah, I mean, I could... Uh, it's all right. Just tease some upcoming stuff I have. Um. <laughs> Ooh, we are get, Ladies and gentlemen, we are getting the Geek of the exclusive! First time we've ever got that. Awesome! Go on, tease us! <laughs> So some stuff that I have kind of announced or teased on um, Twitter already are I've got a Mothman themed supplement for fifth edition coming out um, with several subclasses. I believe there's two, um, the uh, Mothman patron warlock and the um, cryptid hunter, which I might rename cryptid seeker um, ranger, um, which is not someone who hunts cryptids, but like people... Like the Finding Bigfoot um, X-Files, you know, kind of people looking for them. Um, and then it's got like some NPCs, um, a Mothman themed race and some other cool stat blocks. I've got a um, dragon compendium of, inspired by fizz bands um, <laughs> and a few other things that, um, that I'm very early stages, but I'm cranking out stat blocks for that. And hopefully we'll have some player options as well. Um, a whole bunch of crazy dragon types and dragon-like species or types um, of creatures. And that's for fifth edition as well. Um, I'm working on a um, setting expansion for uh, my Wolves Light System tags uh, called Candy Punk. Um, where you're basically rebelling against the tyrannical um, candy king and kind of Robin Hood-esque stuff um, of candy and the candy kingdom. And that should be, that's a little farther along. Um, I'm also finalizing the tags rule book to try and get that fleshed out and edited and all that. Um, I've got art coming in for that. Um, and then that's most of my kind of part. Oh, I also have a cultist class for fifth edition um, with um, a whole bunch of, or just seven uh, subclasses, uh, weird cursed item themed uh, class. And then just ongoing development on my Akinoth setting, which people can find either in random posts on either my blog or Twitter or on my Discord. Um, I'm also, this is not even in the development stage yet, very um, 
one is in the outline stage and one is in the discussion stage before the outline stage, but um, I have some ideas for some um, journaling games. Um, uh, one would be a collaborative journaling game where you play as the reincarnated gods and a post-apocalyptic post collaborative journaling game where you play as the reincarnated gods of that caused the apocalypse, basically. And you're going around chronicling the apocalypse with friends. Um, and then one is a collaborative, no, sorry, I'm collaborating on it. It's a solo journaling game, uh, very horror themed where you're a photojournalist um, investigating a series of murders and it slowly comes to the light uh, that the murders might not be natural, it might not be a human, it's something monstrous and well, what that monster is is vague whether it's a vampire werewolf or something weird and like Stephen King-esque um those are both very early stages and then a uh, buddy from my D&D uh group uh who actually is my upstairs neighbor um and I are thinking about starting a podcast as, as well um we are planning so right now it's looking like it'll be a podcast where um I run him through uh, a one-on-one -on -one session in Akinoth, my home setting, and there'll be occasional guests um, coming in and joining him on that, uh, kind of short sessions, maybe like not even an hour or up to an hour instead of like, you know, four-hour session podcasts of live plays or whatever. It'll be just quick little mini sessions um, with them, just kind of one-on-one or one-on-two um, exploring Akinoth, and um, that's should be a lot of fun. Love talking about that setting with it together. So uh, if we can get that going, it'd be fun. We're even thinking about, uh, we call my six-year-old the goblin child and thinking of having him record goblin noises, the, the sound effects. So, <laughs> but uh, the podcast and the journaling games are kind of very early planning stages and then the rest of the stuff that's in development. Awesome. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, really happy us. to have you. Thank you. <laughs> and to all you listeners, uh, thank you for listening. Do check out their stuff. Honestly, really cool things. I've seen them on WIP Wednesday, Self Promo Saturday, Tabletop Role Playing Game Rising. Uh, just all the hashtags that the TTRPG family uses. But yeah, bottom of my heart, do check them out. I've been Will. Have a good day, night, evening, dusk, sunset, whatever it is. Hey, geeks. There's a game you need to check out only on Vox Pop Games. Ultimate Reality has an amazing story and gameplay that every geek needs to check out. But what is it all about? The multiverse is in danger. A figure known as the Destroyer of Reality is out there looking for various artifacts in order to wipe out every universe in existence. Suit up in this dimensional pixelated adventure as an unknown hero who will travel the multiverse in search of the Destroyer. Learn more only on Voxpop Games or by clicking the link below.